This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. If you're new, we are, are in the midst of a sermon series from Luke's gospel called Encountering Jesus in the Gospel of, of Luke, and what we've been doing is between now and Easter Sunday, we're looking at a series of encounters that Jesus has with people in Luke's Gospel. And today we come to chapter 15, which is an incredible part of God's Word, and Jesus is telling three parables here, back to back to back, and they're really meant to be studied as a unit. And so we're going to look at the whole 15th chapter of Luke this morning. If you'll follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read. We're talking today about encountering his joy. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. He also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead And is alive again. He was lost. And is found. Let's pray. Father as we. Approach this incredible part of your word this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us your heart. Lord that we would see our own need for grace. That we would see the beauty and the love that you have shown each one of us in Christ despite our sin and our ingratitude. Lord, that you came and you rescued us and you carry us. And we pray that you would give us your heart for those who are still lost. Lord, we pray for those that are are out there in the world that are lost. But but Lord, we we see from this chapter that it's possible to even be part of the part of the worshiping community and be lost we can be in the house but far from the father and so lord we we pray that your spirit would speak to us minister to us minister to us open open the eyes of our hearts to see what you desire us to see in your word today lord we pray that you would bind the enemy and and that that nothing would distract during this crucial time together because beautiful, life-changing things can happen when we open your word and when we have open, open hearts, open minds. Lord, give us that right now. Help us to lock in on you. And Lord, may you speak. Help me to get out of the way that you and you alone would be heard. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, some tastes are... Uh, are acquired, and some other tastes come come naturally. And and for me, uh, art was definitely something that was more of an, an acquired taste. I always loved history and and literature, but as far as you know, great paintings and things like that, I I knew I should have an appreciation, but my heart really it didn't naturally gravitate that way. And a couple of years ago, I was in Paris, and a friend had told me, before you leave, you need to go to the Musée d'Orsay, which is a, it's an incredible museum. It's a, it used to be a majestic old 
train station and it's been made into a museum. And, and I found that I was absolutely just entranced by what I saw there. And I found myself noticing things in these great paintings that, that, that I had never seen. I found myself asking questions that I'd never asked. And I found myself sort of lingering over these paintings and paying attention to things like the, like the faces of the, the characters in the painting and, and, and asking questions like, like what, what message was the artist trying to, to send through this, through this character, through this face? You know, Luke 15 is an artistic masterpiece. And Jesus is, is, is painting incredible images through these stories. And, and he's drawing incredible characters that just open up the heart of God to us. So what do we see here in this incredible Chapter. First of all, let's take a look at the, the situation in which these parables are told. Verses 1 and 2. The Bible says all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we see here that the tax collectors and sinners are, are gravitating toward Jesus. We've talked about these two groups of people before. The tax collectors were, were, were Jews who were collecting uh, taxes for the, the, the Roman government. The Roman army was occupying Israel. And so these, these Jewish tax collectors were looked upon by their fellow Jews as, as traitors and often as criminals because they would often extort from their own people. They were despised, outcast. The sinners that Luke talks about here in verse 1 would have been people who were guilty of sort of scandalous sins, people like prostitutes and other people who were sort of just known in the community as scandalous sinners. And yet, these people, who usually had nothing to do with religion, were sort of gravitating to Jesus. Now, why was that? Well, first of all, it was because Jesus was sort of different in his, his, his method, and, and that was that Jesus was actually reaching out to these people, which the religious establishment was not doing. They wanted nothing to do with them. But Jesus is actually doing things like sitting down and sharing meals with these people, which was unheard of. You know, Ros- Rosaria Butterfield, in her beautiful memoir, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. She tells about her, her journey, her spiritual journey, from, from being a, a lesbian professor of queer theory at Syracuse to being a, a follower of Jesus. And, and she went from being someone who loathed Christians to being a follower of Jesus herself. She tells about how that happened. And 
the way that it began was when a Christian husband and wife simply befriended her and then invited her into their home to sit down and share a meal and share conversation. And that was the first of many shared meals that there would be together. And her conversion was not instant. But it was over a couple of years as she experienced the the love of Christ through this couple and she began to read the Bible on her own and the Spirit began to to work in her life. But you know, it it started with just a, a couple doing exactly what Jesus was doing with these people. Sitting down. Sharing a meal, sharing conversation. So Jesus' method was very, very different than, than that of the religious establishment. In doing that, there was also something different about the message that he was preaching. It was not that he minimized sin. You read the four Gospels, Jesus doesn't minimize sin at all. He preaches a lot about sin, a lot about hell. And he calls people to repentance. But that message was mingled with hope and with grace. And these, these people were hearing that there could be new life, a new beginning. There could be forgiveness even for people like them. And so as word began to get out, you know, these people were flocking to hear Jesus. And at the same time, the religious establishment, the scribes and the Pharisees are becoming more and more enraged at Jesus, and even by this point plotting to kill him. And Jesus tells these three parables, back to back to back. And really, they're more directed toward the religious people, toward the religious establishment. Let's take a look at them. First of all, the lost sheep. The lost sheep. Let's look at verses 3 through 7. He told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, one question that people often ask about this parable is, well, what about the 99? Isn't he being a bad shepherd to leave the 99 alone in the open field? Well, the original hearers of this parable that day would certainly not have asked that question because they knew that shepherds worked in teams. And so the shepherd's not leaving the 99 unattended. There would have been other shepherds there to watch over them. But he goes after the one that is lost. Now, what what do we gather from this parable? First of all, the importance of one. The importance of one. Of one. You know, there are 7.6 billion people on earth. There are about 328 million Americans, about 200, at least 246 million of which are lost. But I want us to focus on the number one. You know, we can sit around and we can lament about the lostness of the world 
But we need to ask ourselves the question, are we searching for the one? Who's your one? Who's a person in your life, a family member, a relative, a friend, a colleague at work, a person that you go to school with that needs to know Christ? Are you praying for them, praying for their salvation? Sharing meals with them, sharing coffee with them, sharing gospel conversations with them, with the one. It begins there. God cares about the one. The shepherd goes after the one. All of heaven rejoices at the salvation of one. Who's your one? We see here the importance of one. Second, we see something about the heart of God. The heart of God. The image of the shepherd carrying the the sheep was a popular image among the early believers. This is one from the catacombs in Rome where the early Christians would would sometimes worship together and where they were buried. And, And there are like 120 images of shepherds carrying sheep down in the catacombs. Why? This is a precious image to the early church because they understood that it pictured the heart of God. It pictured the God who had come for them, the God who had rescued them, and the God who had carried them through life. The third thing that we see here is is a question. And the question is this, what makes you rejoice? What makes you rejoice? New Testament scholar Craig Keener talks about the fact that one of the points in this parable is about who is rejoicing when the lost are found and who is not rejoicing. The Bible says that that all of heaven rejoices when someone who is lost is found. It tells us that the shepherd's friends rejoice when the lost sheep is found. So if you're not rejoicing when someone who is spiritually lost is found, then the question needs to be asked, are you a friend of God? Are you a friend of the shepherd? Are you really heaven-bound yourself if you're not rejoicing in the thing that heaven rejoices in. You know, this is a word of warning to the religious leaders who were certainly not rejoicing at the salvation of the lost. But it's a cautionary word for us. Do you rejoice when people are saved? Does it make your heart happy? As a church, is that what we're about? Are we just kind of here to do church and run programs? Or to, are we here to be a rejoicing community at the salvation of lost people? Here in our community and around the world. The second parable that Jesus tells here is about the lost coin. The lost coin. We see it in verses 8 through 10. Let's check it out. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin... 
does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost, I tell you. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Now, note, in all three of these parables, there's the same pattern, right? Something is lost. Something is sought. Something is found. And there's great rejoicing. And we see that here, don't we? Now, anybody who has ever lost anything in their house can relate to this parable, right? Uh, I am the, you can ask Melissa and the kids, I am the king of misplaced items in our house. I am forever coming in and I just naturally, I just want to empty my pockets and I'll put my wallet down or my keys down. And if I put it in any certain, in, in kind of a slightly unfamiliar place, uh, it's, it's a crisis. And, but the worst thing is my phone. Uh, so it was worth getting an Apple Watch for me simply because of one feature alone, and that is that there's a button that I can push that makes my phone ding. And so I use that feature like once a week in my life. I am ever forever misplacing my phone, having to you know, tear, op- tear open the couches, cushions, and peek under everything and go through pockets in the closet or whatever, and now I can push something and it makes it ding and I know where my my phone is. Well, this woman could not push a button and locate her lost coin, and it was a very special coin. It's probably part of a wedding dowry, and the fact that she only had 10 of them would indicate that she was poor, and so this was special to her. And so it says she, she sweeps the house, which would have looked differently for her, it would have been more difficult for her than us because in a, a first century home like this, poor woman living in Israel, there it would have been like a stone floor, many different stones, uh, and there would have been little crevices between each one of the stones, and it was notorious for coins to fall down in these crevices. In fact, the way that archaeologists today date the homes in ancient Israel is by looking for coins beneath the crevices of the floor because they, they can date the home by the, the date of the, the coin that would fall down in these little crevices. So that had happened. And so her search is not an easy search. It took time. It took patience. It took persistence. If she was a person of faith, it took prayer. Now think about the search for those who are spiritually lost today. It takes all of those things. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes persistence. It takes prayer. It takes a lot of love. Love without strings attached. You know, 50 years ago, in, in our culture, I mean, you could kind of erect a church building, <laughs> and if the preaching was good and there were decent programs for kids and, 
and youth and the community would come running. That's because we were living in a culture where most people were in church. And if they weren't in church, they kind of felt like they ought to be. The world has changed. We're living in a culture now where most people are unchurched and most of those unchurched feel no compulsion whatsoever to be there. Which means that we have to get back to the business that Jesus gave us from the very beginning. We need to be looking for them. Seeking them. Searching for them. And it's not a matter of usually a single conversation. <laughs> it's not a, the quick hit usually is not going to do it these days. It's going to take a relationship. It's going to take love without strings in that relationship. It usually takes multiple gospel conversations, conversations about Jesus, multiple <laughs> invitations to to, to church, a lot of prayer, praying for the Holy Spirit to work in people's hearts, praying for them consistently by name, interceding for them, bringing them before the throne of God. You know, one thing that we can, can do that we often don't think about doing is that, you know, there are people in your life that are, they're, they're interested in Jesus they may not verbalize that, but there is a spiritual interest there. They're kind of intrigued by Jesus and by the Bible. If you were to ask them to, to maybe for like six weeks to meet with you and just study the gospel of Mark, for instance. That's a quick, short gospel, fast-paced. Um, could, could we meet for like six weeks and just talk our way through a book of the Bible together, like Mark? you'd be amazed at the people who would say yes. And if you'd like kind of a guideline for helping to do that, for doing that with someone, you, you come to me. Got a great little, just a tiny little paperback book that would help you in reading the Bible with a friend that needs to know Jesus or with any friend. The final parable that we come to is the lost son. When we think about this parable and we think about the lost son. We're thinking about usually the, the younger son, right? The son that's traditionally referred to as prodigal. But actually, there are two lost sons in this parable. Let's look at the younger one. We meet him in verses 11 through 20. He also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. Now, the situation with the younger son is far more shocking and scandalous than we, we can get just from uh, a surface read of this. Because in that culture, essentially, it, it is very different. <laughs> this is not a matter of, of, of like a, a child coming to the father and, and asking for sort of a, a bump or a head start in life as they go off and, and make their way. In this culture, for a son to, to leave the father's trade like this, and it was... That was scandalous in and of itself. But in asking this question, essentially what the younger son is saying to his father is, I wish you were dead. But since you're not dead, I want you to pretend as if you are. That's what was going on here. And the heartbroken father grants his request and the younger son promptly responds by going to a far country and blowing through every penny. Now, the normal person who was listening to the parable in the first century, as Jesus is telling this, they would have been thinking, you know, whatever happens to him, whatever happens to such an unloving, disrespectful, ungrateful son, whatever happens, he deserves. Well, what does happen? He goes into a far country and he goes about as low as a Jewish boy could go. He's on a pig farm, except for he has a lower status than the pigs because the pigs can eat and he's hungry. But then the life-changing moment occurs and his eyes are opened. The eyes of his heart are opened. And this is genuine repentance because he's not just sorry for the pain that he's experiencing. He is sorry for the pain that he has brought his father. And he's not just sorry for the consequences of his sin. He is sorry for his sin. This is 2 Corinthians 7.10. This is godly sorrow that leads to repentance. It's true repentance. I mean, we can see it in, in his in his, in his language here in verse 18, he says, Father, he says, I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. There, there is no sense of entitlement here whatsoever. He said, I don't deserve anything. I'll go back and I'll just see if my dad will take me as one of his hired hands. And now we meet the father. The latter part of verse 20 through verse 24. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick! 
bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Again, as Jesus is telling the story, when the original audience was, was, was listening to it, and they heard what happened to the younger son in the far country, they, they would have been thought, you know, he's getting his just desserts. He's made his bed hard, and now he's got to lie in it. But that was never the heart of the father. That was never the heart of, a, of this loving father. Every day that his son was away, his heart was breaking and yearning for him to come home. This is a lovesick daddy. And look at his reaction. When he sees his son coming, he did what was unthinkable for a man in first century Middle Eastern culture. He ran. Men didn't run. (laughs) But he puts all social protocol goes to the wayside. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, this father sees his boy and he runs like a little kid to him and he throws his arms around him and he kisses him through many tears of joy. And when the son begins to go through his <laughs> prepared speech, I've sinned against heaven and, and against you, it's almost like the dad just cuts him off in mid-sentence and he says, quick, Bring him the best robe, the robe that signifies his status as my son. Bring the ring that signifies that he belongs to me, that he's my boy. Kill the fattened calf. This is a time for joyous celebration. Why? Verse 24, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And now we meet the older son, beginning in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. And didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now I want us to try to look at the older brother a little bit differently than what we maybe typically do. I want us to try to look at him with more empathy. Because where do, where, do we, where do we meet him? Where does he first pop up in the story here? In verse 25. And, and, and what, is he, what is he doing there? It says, the older son was in the field. 
that was a microcosm of, of his life, right? He had played by the rules. He hadn't gone off into the far country. He had done what sons were supposed to do in that culture. He had stayed with his dad. He had adopted his trade. He was managing the family business, which was farming. And so he, he, was, he was in the, the field. Now, we're going to see that his heart was not with the father. He hadn't done it with the right motivation. His heart wasn't there, but, but externally. Externally, he's been the son who played by the rules. And so on this day, he's doing what he does every day. He's been in the field, and he's walking home, sweat on his brow. And as he gets closer to the house, this is weird. There's music. What? <laughs> calls, calls one of the servants, what, what's up? Oh, your brother's come back. Your, your father's throwing a party. Let's kill the fattened calf. Now try to step into his shoes here. Because the younger brother's choices had brought trauma into that family. Not only broken the father's heart, but this older brother had lost a brother. He had lost a partner who was supposed to be helping him with the business. He had brought humiliation and shame on the family, which was a huge deal in this culture. What would have had to happen? What would the, what would the older brother have had to understand and, 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 and understand at a deep level in order to join in the celebration? at that moment. First of all, he would have had to have understood in order to, in order to join the celebration instead of being angry, he would have had to have understood that he too was a rebel and a sinner just in a different way. Second, he would have had to have understood that his respectable sins were just as odious in the eyes of God as his brother's more scandalous sins. Third, he would have had to have understood that he didn't deserve anything but condemnation, but instead had received amazing grace. but he doesn't understand any of that. And that's because the older son has been lost too. It's not just the younger son who's been lost. The older son has been lost all along. You can be in the house and your heart can be far from the father. Now, speaking of the father, notice how he reaches out to the older son. 
This may be the most touching part of the parable and it's often overlooked. Verse 31, the father goes out to him and even after the older son hisses at him in hatred, he says to him in verse 31, son, you are always with me and everything I had is yours. In other words, my love for your brother does not lessen my love for you one iota. My heart is yours. Everything I have is yours. Your, your brother's gain is not your loss. No, this is, this is everyone's gain. If we celebrate it together, and he issues the invitation, come in, come in, join in the joy. Now bear in mind, Jesus here is reaching out an open hand to the very people who are plotting to kill him at this point. Jesus is reaching out his hand to the scribes and Pharisees and inviting them, come in, come in. My love is for you too, come. Let's all celebrate together. And there, this masterpiece of a parable ends. The ending is left suspended, just hanging in midair. And the point is that Jesus is saying, the next move is yours. What will you do? The invitation is extended. Will you come? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, this part of your word that just shows your heart so clearly, shows the gospel so clearly. Uh, Father, we, we pray that you would forgive us for the times when we've been older brothers, when we have felt entitled, when we have made light of your amazing grace, the times when we have looked down upon others instead of reaching out to them. We pray that you would give, forgive our pride and forgive our self-righteousness. And that you would make us understand that we, we desperately need your grace, that we are just sinners in need of a Savior. And that if we have a Savior, the call upon our lives is to reach out to those who don't. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to join you in the mission to seek and to save what was lost. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this, 
Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.